0: section two of on the death of satyrus and on the belief in the resurrection by ambrose of milan translated by h de romestrin this librivox recording is in the public domain on the belief in the resurrection part one in the former book i indulged my longing to some extent lest too sharp remedies applied to a burning wound might rather increase than assuage the pain and as at the same time i often addressed my brother and had him before my eyes it was not out of place to let natural feelings have a little play since they are somewhat satisfied by tears soothed by weeping and numbed by a shock for the outward expression of affection is of a soft and tender nature it loves nothing extravagant nothing stern nothing hard and patience is proved by enduring rather than by resisting so since the death-day might well lately by the sad spectacle draw aside the mind of a brother because it occupied him wholly now inasmuch as on the seventh day the symbol of the future rest we return to the grave it is profitable to turn our thoughts somewhat from my brother to a general exhortation addressed to all and to give our attention to this so as neither to cling to my brother with all our minds lest our feelings overcome us nor forgetting such devotion and desert to turn wholly away from him and in truth we should but increase the suffering of our intense grief if his death were again the subject of today's address wherefore we propose dearest brethren to console ourselves with the common course of nature and not to think anything hard which awaits all and therefore we deem that death is not to be mourned over firstly because it is common and due to all next because it frees us from the miseries of this life and lastly because when in the likeness of sleep we are at rest from the toils of this world a more lively vigour is shed upon us what grief is there which the grace of the resurrection does not console what sorrow is not excluded by the belief that nothing perishes in death nay indeed that by the hastening of death it comes to pass that much is preserved from perishing. So it will happen, dearest brethren, that in our general exhortation we shall turn our affections to my brother, and shall not seem to have wandered too far from him, if through our hope of the resurrection, and the sweetness of future glory, even in our discourse he should live again for us. Let us then begin at this point, that we should show that the departure of our loved ones should not be mourned by us, For what is more absurd than to deplore, as though it were a special misfortune, what one knows is appointed unto all? This were to lift up the mind above the condition of men, not to accept the common law, to reject the fellowship of nature, to be puffed up in a fleshly mind, and not to recognize the measure of the flesh itself. What is more absurd than not to recognize what one is, to pretend to be what one is not? or what can be a sign of less forethought than to be unable to bear when it has happened what nature knew was going to happen nature herself calls us back and draws us aside from sorrow of this sort by a kind of consolation of her own for what so deep mourning is there or so bitter grief in which the mind is not at times relieved for human nature has this peculiarity that although men may be in sad circumstances yet if only they be men they sometimes turn their thoughts a little away from sadness it is said indeed that there have been certain tribes who mourned at the birth of human beings and kept festival at their deaths and this not without reason for they thought that those who had entered upon this ocean of life should be mourned over BUT THAT THEY WHO HAD ESCAPED FROM THE WAVES AND STORMS OF THIS WORLD SHOULD BE ACCOMPANIED BY REJOICING, NOT WITHOUT GOOD REASON. AND WE, TOO, FORGET THE BIRTHDAYS OF THE DEPARTED, AND COMMEMORATE WITH FESTAL SOLEMNITY THE DAY ON WHICH THEY DIED. THEREFORE, IN ACCORDANCE WITH NATURE, EXCESSIVE GRIEF MUST NOT BE YIELDED TO, LEST WE SHOULD SEEM EITHER TO CLAIM FOR OURSELVES EITHER AN EXCEPTIONAL SUPERIORITY OF NATURE, OR TO REJECT THE COMMON LOT for death is alike to all without difference for the poor without exception for the rich and so although through the sin of one alone yet it passed upon all that we may not refuse to acknowledge him to be also the author of death whom we do not refuse to acknowledge as the author of our race and that as through one death is ours so should be also the resurrection and that we should not refuse the misery that we may attain to the gift For, as we read, Christ is come to save that which was lost, and to be Lord both of the dead and living. In Adam I fell, in Adam I was cast out of paradise, in Adam I died. How shall the Lord call me back, except he find me in Adam, guilty as I was in him, so now justified in Christ? If, then, death be the debt of all, we must be able to endure the payment, but this topic must be reserved to a later treatment it is now our purpose to demonstrate that death ought not to cause too heavy grief because nature itself rejects this and so they say that there was a law among the lycians commanding that men who gave way to grief should be clothed in female apparel inasmuch as they judged mourning to be soft and effeminate in a man and it is inconsistent that those who ought to offer their breasts to death for the faith for religion for their country for righteous judgment and the endeavour after virtue should grieve too bitterly for that in the case of others which, if a fitting cause required, they would seek for themselves. For how can one help shrinking from that in ourselves which one mourns with too little patience when it has happened to others? Put aside your grief if you can, if you cannot, keep it to yourself. Is then all sorrow to be kept within or repressed? Why should not reason rather than time lighten one's sadness? Shall not wisdom better assuage that which the passage of time will obliterate? further it seems to me that it is a want of due feeling with regard to the memory of those whose loss we mourn when we prefer to forget them rather than that our sorrow should be lessened by consolation and to shrink from the recollection of them rather than remember them with thankfulness that we fear the calling to mind of those whose image in our hearts ought to be a delight that we are rather distrustful than hopeful regarding the acceptance of the departed and think of those we loved rather as liable to punishment than as heirs of immortality but you may say we have lost those whom we used to love is not this the common lot of ourselves and the earth and elements that we cannot keep for ever what has been entrusted to us for a time the earth groans under the plough is lashed by rains struck by tempests bound by cold burnt by the sun that it may bring forth its yearly fruits and when it has clothed itself with a variety of flowers, it is stripped and spoiled of its own adornment. How many plunderers it has! And it does not complain of the loss of its fruits, to which it gave birth, that it might lose them, nor thereafter does it refuse to produce what it remembers will be taken from it. The heavens themselves do not always shine with the globes of twinkling stars, wherewith, as with coronets, they are adorned. They are not always growing bright with the dawn of light, or ruddy with the rays of the sun, but in constant succession that most pleasing appearance of the world grows dark with the damp chill of night. What is more grateful than the light? What is more pleasant than the sun, each of which daily comes to an end? Yet we do not take it ill that these have passed away from us because we expect them to return. Thou art taught in these things what patience thou oughtest to manifest with regard to those who belong to thee if things above pass away from thee and cause no grief why should the passing away of man be mourned let then grief be patient let there be that moderation in adversity which is required in prosperity if it be not seemly to rejoice immoderately is it seemly so to mourn for want of moderation in grief or fear of death is no small evil how many has it driven to the halter in how many hands has it placed the sword that they might by that very means demonstrate their madness in not enduring death and yet seeking it in adopting that as a remedy which they flee from as an evil and because they were unable to endure and to suffer what is in agreement with their nature they fall into that which is contrary to their desire being separated for ever from those whom they desire to follow but this is not common since nature herself restrains although madness drives men on But it is common with women to make public wailing, as though they feared that their misery might not be known. They affect soiled clothing, as though the feeling of sorrow consisted therein. They moisten their unkempt hair with filth, and lastly, which is done habitually in many places, with their clothing torn and their dress rent in two, they prostitute their modesty and nakedness, as if they were ready to sacrifice that modesty, because they have lost that which was its reward." and so wanton eyes are excited and lust after those naked limbs which were they not made bare they would not desire would that those filthy garments covered the mind rather than the bodily form Laviciousness of mind is often hidden under sad clothing and the unseemly rudeness of dress is used as a covering to hide the secrets of wanton spirits she mourns for her husband with sufficient devotion who preserves her modesty and does not give up her constancy THE BEST DUTIES TO DISCHARGE TO THE DEPARTED ARE THAT THEY LIVE IN OUR MEMORIES AND CONTINUE IN OUR AFFECTION. SHE HAS NOT LOST HER HUSBAND, WHO MANIFESTS HER CHASTITY, NOR IS SHE WIDOWED, AS REGARDS HER UNION, WHO HAS NOT CHANGED HER HUSBAND'S NAME. NOR HAST THOU LOST THE HEIR, WHEN THOU ASSISTEST THE JOINT HEIR, BUT IN EXCHANGE FOR A SUCCESSOR IN PERISHABLE THINGS, THOU HAST A SHARER IN THINGS ETERNAL. THOU HAST ONE TO REPRESENT THINE HEIR, PAY TO THE POOR WHAT WAS DUE TO THE HEIR, that there may remain one to survive not only the old age of father or mother but thine own life thou leavest thy successor all the more if his share conduce not to luxury in things present but to the purchasing of things to come but we long for those whom we have lost for two things specially pain us either the longing for those we have lost which i experience in my own case or that we think them deprived of the sweetness of life and snatched away from the fruits of their toil for there is a tender movement of love which suddenly kindles the affection so as to have the effect rather of soothing than of hindering the pain inasmuch as it seems a dutiful thing to long for what one has lost and so under an appearance of virtue weakness increases but why dost thou think that she who has sent her beloved to foreign parts and because of military service or of undertaking some office or has discovered that for the purpose of commerce he has crossed the sea ought to be more patient than thou who art left not because of some chance decision or desire of money but by the law of nature but you say the hope of regaining him is shut out as though the return of any one were certain and oftentimes doubt wearies the mind more where the fear of danger is strong and it is more burdensome to fear lest something should happen than to bear what one already knows has happened for the one increases the amount of fear the other looks forward to the end of its grief But masters have the right to transfer their slaves whithersoever they determine. Has not God this right? It is not granted to us to look for their return, but it is granted to us to follow those gone before. And certainly the usual shortness of life seems neither to have deprived them of much, who have gone before, nor to delay very long him who remains. But if one cannot mitigate one's grief, does it not seem unbecoming to wish that, because of our longing, the whole course of things should be upset, the longings of lovers are certainly more intense and yet they are tempered by regard to what is necessary and though they grieve at being forsaken they are not wont to mourn rather being deserted they blush at loving too hastily and so patience in regret is all the more manifested but what shall i say of those who think that the departed are deprived of the sweetness of life there can be no real sweetness in the midst of the bitternesses and pains of this life which are caused either by the infirmity of the body itself or by the discomfort of things happening from without for we are always anxious and in suspense as to our wishes for happier circumstances we waver in uncertainty our hope setting before us doubtful things for certain inconvenient for satisfactory things that will fail for what is firm and we have neither any strength in our will nor certainty in our wishes BUT IF ANYTHING HAPPENS AGAINST OUR WILL, WE THINK WE ARE LOST, AND ARE RATHER BROKEN DOWN BY PAIN AT ADVERSITY, THAN CHEERED BY THE ENJOYMENT OF PROSPERITY. WHAT GOOD, THEN, ARE THEY DEPRIVED OF, WHO ARE RATHER FREED FROM TROUBLES? GOOD HEALTH, I DOUBT NOT, IS MORE BENEFICIAL TO US THAN BAD HEALTH IS HURTFUL. RICHES BRING MORE DELIGHTS THAN POVERTY ANNOYANCE. THE SATISFACTION IN CHILDREN'S LOVE IS GREATER THAN THE SORROW AT THEIR LOSS, AND YOUTH IS MORE PLEASANT THAN OLD age is SAD how often is the attainment of one's wishes a weariness and what one has longed for a regret so that one grieves at having obtained what one was not afraid of obtaining but what fatherland what pleasures can compensate for exile and the bitterness of other penalties for even when we have these the pleasure is weakened either by the disinclination to use or by the fear of losing them but suppose that some one remains unharmed free from grief in uninterrupted enjoyment of the pleasures of the whole course of man's life what comfort can the soul attain to enclosed in the bonds of a body of such a kind and restrained by the narrow limits of the limbs if our flesh shrinks from prison if it abhors everything which denies it the power of roaming about when it seems indeed to be always going forth with its little powers of hearing or seeing what is beyond itself how much more does our soul desire to escape from that prison-house of the body which being free with movement like the air goes whither we know not and comes whence we know not we know however that it survives the body and that being set free from the bars of the body it sees with clear gaze those things which before dwelling in the body it could not see and we are able to judge of this by the instance of those who have visions of things absent and even heavenly in sleep whose minds when the body is as it were buried in sleep rise to higher things and relate them to the body so then if death frees us from the miseries of this world It is certainly no evil inasmuch as it restores liberty and excludes suffering. At this point the right place occurs for arguing that death is not an evil because it is the refuge from all miseries and all evils, a safe harbour of security and a haven of rest. For what adversity is there which we do not experience in this life? What storms and tempests do we not suffer? By what discomforts are we not harassed? Whose merits are spared? the holy patriarch israel fled from his country was exiled from his father relatives and home he mourned over the shame of his daughter and the death of his son he endured famine when dead he lost his own grave for he entreated that his bones should be translated lest even in death he should find rest holy joseph experienced the hatred of his brethren the guile of those who envied him the service of slavery the mastership of merchantmen the wantonness of his mistress the ignorance of her husband and the misery of prison. Holy David lost two sons, the one incestuous, the other a parasite. To have had them was a disgrace, to have lost them a grief. And he lost a third the infant whom he loved. Him he wept for while still alive, but did not long for when dead. For so we read that while the child was sick, David entreated the Lord for him, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and when the elders came near to raise him from the earth, he would neither rise nor eat. But when he heard that the child was dead, he changed his clothes, worshipped God, and took food. When this seemed strange to his servants, he answered that he had rightly fasted and wept while the child was alive, because he justly thought that God might have mercy, and it could not be doubted that he could preserve the life of one alive, who could give life to the departed. But now, when death had taken place, why should he fast? For he could not now bring back him that was dead, and recall him who was lifeless. I, said he, shall go to him but he shall not return to me. O greatest consolation for him who mourns, O true judgment of a wise man, O wonderful wisdom of one who is a bondman, that none should take it ill that anything adverse has happened to him, or complain that he is afflicted contrary to his deserts. For who art thou who beforehand proclaimest thy deserts? Why desirest thou to anticipate him who takes cognizance of all? Why dost thou snatch away the verdict from him who is going to judge? this is permitted not even to the saints nor has it ever been done by the saints with impunity david confesses that he was scourged for this in his psalm behold these are the ungodly who prosper in the world they have obtained riches therefore i have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands among the innocent and i was scourged all the day long and my accusation came every morning Peter also, though full of faith and devotion, yet because not yet conscious of our common weakness, he had presumptuously said to the Lord, I will lay down my life for thy sake, fell into the trial of his presumption before the cock crowed thrice. Although indeed that trial was a lesson for our salvation, that we might learn not to think little of the weakness of the flesh, lest through thus thinking little of it we should be tempted. If Peter was tempted, who can presume, who can maintain that he cannot be tempted? and without doubt for our sakes was peter tempted so that the proving of the temptation did not take place in a stronger than he but that in him we should learn how resisting in temptations although tried even by care for our lives we might yet overcome the sting of the temptation with tears of patience but that same david that the difference of his actions may not perhaps disturb those who cling to the words of scripture that same david i say who had not wept for the innocent infant wept for the parricide when dead For at the last, when he was wailing and mourning, he said, O my son Absalom, my son Absalom, who will grant me to die for thee? But not only is Absalom the parricide wept over, Amnon is wept over, not only is the incestuous wept over, but is even avenged, the one by the scorn of the kingdom, the other by the exile of his brothers. The wicked is wept over, not the innocent. What is the cause? What is the reason? There is no little deliberation with the prudent and confirmation of results with the wise. FOR THERE IS GREAT CONSISTENCY OF PRUDENCE IN SO GREAT A DIFFERENCE OF ACTIONS, BUT THE BELIEF IS ONE. HE WEPT FOR THOSE WHO WERE DEAD, BUT DID NOT THINK THAT HE OUGHT TO WEEP FOR THE DEAD INFANT, FOR HE THOUGHT THAT THEY WERE LOST TO HIM, BUT HOPED THAT THE LATTER WOULD RISE AGAIN. BUT CONCERNING THE RESURRECTION MORE WILL BE SAID LATER ON. LET US NOW RETURN TO OUR IMMEDIATE SUBJECT. WE HAVE SET FORTH THAT EVEN HOLY MEN HAVE, WITHOUT ANY CONSIDERATION OF THEIR MERITS, SUFFERED MANY AND HEAVY THINGS IN THIS WORLD, TOGETHER WITH TOIL AND MISERY so david entering into himself says remember lord that we are dust as for man his days are but as grass and in another place man is like to vanity his days pass away as a shadow for what is more wretched than we who are sent into this life as it were plundered and naked with frail bodies deceitful hearts weak minds anxious in respect of cares slothful as to labour prone to pleasures not to be born is then by far the best according to solomon's sentence for they also who have seemed to themselves to excel most in philosophy have followed him for he before these philosophers in time but later than many of our writers spoke thus in ecclesiastes and i praised all the departed which are already dead more than the living who are yet alive and better than both they is he who hath not yet been born and who hath not seen this evil work which hath been done under the sun and i saw all travail and all the good of this labour that for this a man is envied of his neighbour and indeed this is vanity and vexation of spirit and who said this but he who asked for and obtained wisdom to know how the world was made and the power of the elements the course of the year and the disposition of stars to be acquainted with the natures of living creatures the furies of wild beasts and the violence of winds and to understand the thoughts of man How, then, should mortal matters be hidden from him, from whom heavenly things were not hidden? He who penetrated the thoughts of the woman who is claiming the child of another, who, by the inspiration of divine grace, knew the natures of living creatures which he did not share, could he err or say what was untrue with regard to the circumstances of that nature which he found in his own personal experience? But Solomon was not the only person who felt this, though he alone gave expression to it. He had read the words of Holy Job, let the day perish wherein I was born. Job had recognized that to be born is the beginning of all woes, and therefore wished that the day on which he was born might perish, so that the origin of all troubles might be removed, and wished that the day of his birth might perish, that he might receive the day of resurrection. For Solomon had heard his father's saying, Lord, make me to know mine end, and the number of my days, that I may know what is lacking unto me. For David knew that what is perfect cannot be grasped here and therefore hastened on to those things which are to come for now we know in part and understand in part but then it will be possible for that which is perfect to be grasped when not the shadow but the reality of the divine majesty and eternity shall begin to shine so as to be gazed upon by us with unveiled face but no one would hasten to the end except he were fleeing from the discomfort of this life and so david also explained why he hastened to the end when he said behold thou hast made my days old and my being is as nothing before thee surely all things are vanity even every man that liveth why then do we hesitate to flee from vanity or why does it please us to be troubled to no purpose in this world to lay up treasures and not know for what air we are gathering them Let us pray that troubles be removed from us, that we be taken out of this foolish world, that we may be free from our daily pilgrimage, and return to that country and our natural home. For on this earth we are strangers and foreigners. We have to return thither whence we have come down. We must strive and pray, not perfunctorily, but earnestly, to be delivered from the guile and wickedness of men full of words. And he who knew the remedy groaned that his sojourn was prolonged, and that he must dwell with the unjust and sinners." what shall i do who am both sinful and know not the remedy jeremiah also bewails his birth in these words woe is me my mother why hast thou borne me a man of contention in all the earth i have not benefited others nor has any one benefited me my strength hath failed if then holy men shrink from life whose life though profitable to us is esteemed unprofitable to themselves What ought we to do who are not able to profit others, and who feel that it, like money borrowed at interest, grows more heavily weighted every day with an increasing mass of sins? I die daily, says the Apostle. Better certainly is this saying than theirs, who said that meditation on death was true philosophy, for they praised the study, he exercised the practice of death, and they acted for themselves only, but Paul, himself perfect, died not for his own weakness, but for ours. But what is meditation on death but a kind of separation of body and soul? For death itself is defined as nothing else than the separation of body and soul. But this is in accordance with common opinion. But according to the scriptures we have been taught that death is threefold. One death is when we die to sin but live to God. Blessed then is that death which escaping from sin and devoted to God separates us from what is mortal and consecrates us to him who is immortal. Another death is the departure from this life, as the patriarch Abraham died, and the patriarch David, and were buried with their fathers, when the soul is set free from the bonds of the body. The third death is that of which it is said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. In that death not only the flesh, but also the soul dies, for the soul that sinneth it shall die. For it dies to the Lord through the weakness, not of nature, but of guilt. But this death is not the discharge from this life, but a fall through error." spiritual death then is one thing natural death another a third the death of punishment but that which is natural is not also penal for the lord did not inflict death as a penalty but as a remedy and to adam when he sinned one thing was appointed as a penalty another for a remedy when it was said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which i had commanded thee that of it alone thou shouldst not eat cursed is the ground in thy labour in sorrow shalt thou eat its fruit all the days of thy life thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat thy bread till thou return to the earth from which thou wast taken here you have the days of rest from penalties for they contain the punishment decreed against the thorns of this life the cares of the world and the pleasures of riches which shut out the word death is given for a remedy because it is the death of evils For God said not, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of the woman, thou shalt return to the earth. For this would have been a penal sentence, as this one is, The earth under curse shall bring forth thorns and thistles to thee. But he said, In sweat thou shalt eat thy bread until thou return to the earth. You see that death is rather the goal of our penalties, by which an end is put to the course of this life. So then, death is not only an evil, but is even a good thing so that it is sought as a good, as it is written, Men shall seek death, and shall not find it. They will seek it, who shall say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. That soul too shall seek it, which has sinned. That rich man lying in hell shall seek it, who wishes that his tongue should be cooled with the finger of Lazarus. We see then that this death is a gain, and life a penalty, so that Paul says, To me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What is Christ but the death of the body, the breath of life? and so let us die with him, that we may live with him. Let there then be in us, as it were, a daily practice and inclination to dying, that by this separation from bodily desires of which we have spoken, our soul may learn to withdraw itself, and, as it were placed on high when earthly lusts cannot approach and attach it to themselves, may take upon herself the likeness of death, and she incur not the penalty of death. For the law of the flesh wars against the law of the mind, and makes it over to the law of error, as the Apostle has made known to us, saying, For I see a law of the flesh in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity in the law of sin. We are all attached, we all feel this, but we are not all delivered, and so a miserable man am I, unless I seek the remedy. But what remedy? Who shall deliver me out of the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a physician. Let us use the remedy. Our remedy is the grace of Christ, and the body of death is our body. Let us therefore be as strangers to our body, lest we be strangers to Christ. Though we are in the body, let us not follow the things which are of the body. Let us not reject the rightful claim of nature, but desire before all the gifts of grace. For to be dissolved and to be with Christ is far better. Yet to abide in the flesh is more needful for your sakes but this need is not the case of all lord jesus it is not so with me who am profitable to none for to me death is a gain that i may sin no more to die is gain to me who in the very treatise in which i comfort others am incited as it were by an intense impulse to the longing for my lost brother since it suffers me not to forget him now i love him more and long for him more intensely i long for him when i speak i long for him when i read again what i have written and i think that i am more impelled to write this that i may not ever be without the recollection of him and in this i am not acting contrary to scripture but i am of the same mind with scripture that i may grieve with more patience and long with greater intensity thou hast caused me my brother not to fear death and i only would that my life might die with thine this balaam wished for as the greatest good for himself when inspired by the spirit of prophecy he said let my soul die in the souls of the righteous and let my seed be like the seed of them and in truth he wished this according to the spirit of prophecy for as he saw the rising of christ so also he saw his triumph he saw his death but saw also in him the everlasting resurrection of men and therefore feared not to die as he was to rise again let not then my soul die in sin nor admit sin into itself but let it die in the soul of the righteous that it may receive his righteousness then too he who dies in christ is made a partaker of his grace in the font death is not then an object of dread nor bitter to those in need nor too bitter to the rich nor unkind to the old nor a mark of cowardice to the brave nor everlasting to the faithful nor unexpected to the wise for how many have consecrated their life by the renown of their death alone how many have been ashamed to live and have found death again we have read how often by the death of one great nations have been delivered The armies of the enemy have been put to flight by the death of the general, who had been unable to conquer them when alive. By the death of martyrs religion has been defended, faith increased, the church strengthened, the dead have conquered, the persecutors have been overcome. And so we celebrate the death of those of whose lives we are ignorant. So too David rejoiced in prophecy at the departure of his own soul, saying, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He esteemed death better than life. The death itself of the martyrs is the prize of their life. And again by the death of those at variance, hatred is put an end to. Why should more be said? By the death of one, the world was redeemed. For Christ, had he willed, need not have died. But he neither thought that death should be shunned, as though there were any cowardice in it, nor could he have saved us better than by dying. And so his death is the life of all. We are signed with the sign of his death, we show forth his death when we pray, when we offer the sacrifice we declare his death, for his death is victory, his death is our mystery, his death is the yearly recurring solemnity of the world. What now should we say concerning his death, since we prove by his divine example that death alone found immortality, and that death itself redeemed itself? Death, then, is not to be mourned over, for it is the cause of salvation for all death is not to be shunned for the son of god did not think it unworthy of him and did not shun it the order of nature is not to be loosed for what is common to all cannot admit of exception in individuals and indeed death was no part of man's nature but became natural for god did not institute death at first but gave it as a remedy let us then take heed that it do not seem to be the opposite for if death is a good why is it written that god made not death but by the malice of men death entered into the world for of a truth death was no necessary part of the divine operation since for those who were placed in paradise a continual succession of all good things streamed forth but because of transgression the life of man condemned to lengthened labor began to be wretched with intolerable groaning so that it was fitting that an end should be set to the evils, and that death should restore what life had lost. For immortality, unless grace breathed upon it, would be rather a burden than an advantage. And if one consider accurately, it is not the death of our being, but of evil, for being continues, it is evil that perishes. That which has been rises again, would that, as it is now free from sinning, so it were without former guilt, but this very thing is a proof that it is not the death of being that we shall be the same persons as we were and so we shall either pay the penalty of our sins or attain to the reward of our good deeds for the same being will rise again now more honourable for having paid the tax of death and then the dead who are in christ shall rise first then too we who are alive it is said shall together with them be caught up in the clouds into the air to meet the lord and so we shall always be with the lord they first but those who are alive second they with jesus those who are alive through jesus to them life will be sweeter after rest and though the living will have a delightful gain yet they will be without experience of the remedy there is therefore nothing for us to fear in death nothing for us to mourn whether life which was received from nature be rendered up to her again or whether it be sacrificed to some duty which claims it and this will be either an act of religion or the exercise of some virtue and no one ever wished to remain as at present this has been supposed to have been promised to john but it is not the truth we hold fast to the words and deduce the meaning from them He himself, in his own writing, denies that there was a promise that he should not die, that no one from that instance might yield to an empty hope. But if to wish for this would be an extravagant hope, how much more extravagant were it to grieve without rule for what has happened according to rule. The heathen mostly console themselves with the thought either of the common misery, or of the law of nature, or of the immortality of the soul. And would that their utterances were consistent and that they did not transmit the wretched soul into a number of ludicrous monstrosities and figures. But what ought we to do whose reward is the resurrection, though many, not being able to deny the greatness of this gift, refuse to believe in it? And for this reason will we maintain it, not by one casual argument only, but by as many as we are able?' all things indeed are believed to be either because of experience or on grounds of reason or from similar instances or because it is fitting that they be and each of these supports our belief experience teaches us that we are moved reason that which moves us must be considered the property of another power similar instances show that the field has borne crops and therefore we expect that it will continue to bear them fitness because even where we do not think that there will be results yet we believe that it is by no means fitting to give up the works of virtue each then is supported by each but belief in the resurrection is inferred most clearly on three grounds in which all are included these are reason analogy from universal example and the evidence of what has happened since many have risen reason is clear FOR SINCE THE WHOLE COURSE OF OUR LIFE CONSISTS IN THE UNION OF BODY AND SOUL, AND THE RESURRECTION BRINGS WITH IT EITHER THE REWARD OF GOOD WORKS OR THE PUNISHMENT OF WICKED ONES, IT IS NECESSARY THAT THE BODY, WHOSE ACTIONS ARE WEIGHED, RISE AGAIN. FOR HOW SHALL THE SOUL BE SUMMONED TO JUDGMENT WITHOUT THE BODY, WHEN ACCOUNT HAS TO BE RENDERED OF THE COMPANIONSHIP OF ITSELF AND THE BODY? RISING AGAIN IS THE LOT OF ALL, BUT THERE IS A DIFFICULTY IN BELIEVING THIS, BECAUSE IT IS NOT DUE TO OUR DESERTS, BUT IS THE GIFT OF GOD the first argument for the resurrection is the course of the world and the condition of all things the series of generations the changes in the way of succession the setting and rising of constellations the ending of day and night and their daily succession coming as it were again to life and no other reason can exist for the fertile temperament of this earth but that the divine order restores by the dews of night as much of that moisture from which all earthly things are produced as the heat of the sun dries up by day why should i speak of the fruits of the earth why do they not seem to die when they fall to rise again when they grow green once more that which is sown rises again that which is dead rises again and they are formed once more into the same classes and kinds as before The earth first gave back these fruits, in these first our nature found the pattern of the resurrection. Why doubt that body shall rise again from body? Grain is sown, grain comes up again, fruit is sown, fruit comes up again, but the grain is clothed with blossom and husk, and this mortal must put on immortality, and this corruptible must put on incorruption. The blossom of the resurrection is immortality, the blossom of the resurrection is incorruption, for what is more fruitful than perpetual rest what supplied with richer store than everlasting security here is the abundant fruit by whose increase man's nature shoots forth more abundantly after death but you wonder how what has yielded to putrefaction can again become solid how scattered particles can come together those that are consumed be made good you do not wonder how seeds broken up under the moist pressure of the earth grow green for certainly they too rotting under contact with the earth are broken up and when the fertilizing moisture of the soil gives life to the dead and hidden seeds and by the vital warmth as it were breathes out a kind of soul of the green herb Then, by little and little, nature raises from the ground the tender stalk of the growing ear, and as a careful mother folds it in certain sheaths, lest the sharp ice should hurt it as it grows, and to protect it from too great heat of the sun, and lest, after this, the rain should break down the fruit itself, escaping, as it were, from its first cradle, and just grown up, or lest the wind should scatter it, or small birds destroy it, she usually hedges it around with a fence of bristling awn why should one then be surprised if the earth give back those bodies of men which it has received seeing that it gives life to raises clothes protects and defends whatsoever bodies of seeds it has received cease then to doubt that the trustworthy earth which restores multiplied as it were by usury the seeds committed to it will also restore the entrusted deposit of the race of man and why should i speak of the kinds of trees which spring up from seed sown and with revivified fruitfulness bear again their opening fruits and repeat the old shape and likeness and certain trees being renewed continue through many generations and in their endurance overpass the very centuries we see the grape rot and the vine come up again a graft is inserted and the tree is born again is there this divine foresight for restoring trees and no care for men and he who has not suffered to perish that which he gave for man's use shall he suffer man to perish whom he made after his own image but it appears incredible to you that the dead rise again thou foolish one that which thou thyself sowest does it not first die that it may be quickened sow any dry seed you please it is raised up but you answer it has the life-juice in itself and our body has its blood has its own moisture this is the life-juice of our body, so that I think that the objection is exploded, which some allege that a dry twig does not revive, and then endeavour to argue from this to the prejudice of the flesh. For the flesh is not dry, since all flesh is of clay, clay comes from moisture, moisture from the earth. Then, again, many growing plants, though always fresh, spring from dry and sandy soil, since the earth itself supplies sufficient moisture for itself." does the earth then which continually restores all things fail with regard to man from what has been said it is clear that we must not doubt that it is rather in accordance with than contrary to nature for it is natural that all living things should rise again but contrary to nature that they should perish we come now to a point which much troubles the heathen how it can be that the earth should restore those whom the sea has swallowed up wild beasts have torn to pieces or have devoured So then, at last, we necessarily come to the conclusion that the doubt is not as to belief in resurrection in general, but as to a part. For, granted that the bodies of those torn in pieces do not rise again, the others do so, and the resurrection is not disproved, but a certain class is an exception. Yet I wonder why they think there is any doubt even concerning these, as though not all things which are of the earth return to the earth and crumble again into earth. AND THE SEA ITSELF FOR THE MOST PART CASTS UP UPON NEIGHBOURING SHORES WHATEVER HUMAN BODIES IT HAS SWALLOWED. AND IF THIS WERE NOT SO, I SUPPOSE WE ARE TO BELIEVE THAT IT WOULD NOT BE DIFFICULT FOR GOD TO JOIN TOGETHER WHAT WAS dispersed, TO UNITE WHAT WAS SCATTERED. GOD, WHOM THE UNIVERSE OBEYS, TO WHOM THE DUMB ELEMENTS SUBMIT AND NATURE SERVES, AS THOUGH IT WERE NOT A GREATER WONDER TO GIVE LIFE TO CLAY THAN TO JOIN IT TOGETHER that bird in the country of arabia which is called the phoenix restored by the renovating juices of its flesh after being dead comes to life again shall we believe that men alone are not raised up again yet we know this by common report and the authority of writings namely that the bird referred to has a fixed period of life of five hundred years and when by some warning of nature it knows that the end of its life is at hand it furnishes for itself a casket of frankincense and myrrh and other perfumes and its work and the time being together ended it enters the casket and dies then from its juices a worm comes forth and grows by degrees into the fashion of the same bird and its former habits are restored and borne up by the orange of its wings it commences once more the course of its renewed life and discharges a debt of gratitude for it conveys that casket whether the tomb of its body or the cradle of its resurrection in which quitting life it died and dying it rose again from ethiopia to lyconia And so by the resurrection of this bird, the people of those regions understand that a period of five hundred years is accomplished. So to that bird the five hundredth is the year of resurrection, but to us the thousandth. It has its resurrection in this world. We have ours at the end of the world. Many think also that this bird kindles its own funeral pile, and comes to life again from its own ashes." but perhaps nature if more deeply investigated will seem to give a deeper reason for our belief let our thoughts turn back to the origin and commencement of the creation of man you are men and women you are not ignorant of the things which have to do with human nature and if any of you have not this knowledge you know that we are born of nothing but how small an origin for being so great as we are and if i do not speak more plainly yet you understand what i mean or rather what i will not say Whence, then, is this head, and that wonderful countenance, whose maker we see not? We see the work, it is fashioned for various purposes and uses. Whence is this upright figure, this lofty stature, this power of action, this quickness of perception, this capacity for walking upright? Doubtless the organs of nature are not known to us, but that which they affect is known. Thou too wast once seed, and thy body is the seed of that which shall rise again. Listen to Paul, and learn that thou art this seed. It is sown in corruption, it shall rise in incorruption. It is sown in dishonour, it shall rise in glory. It is sown in weakness, it shall rise in power. It is sown a natural body, it shall rise a spiritual body. Thou also, then, art sown, as are other things. Why wonderest thou, if thou shalt rise again, as shall others? but thou believest as to them because thou seest thou believest not this because thou seest it not blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed however before the season comes those things also are not believed for every season is not suited for the raising of seeds wheat is sown at one time and comes up at another at one time the vine is planted at another the budding twigs begin to shoot the foliage grows luxuriant and the grape is formed At one time the olive is planted, at another time, as though pregnant and loaded with its offspring of berries, it is bent down by the abundance of its fruit. But before its own period arrives for each, the produce is restricted, and that which bears has not the age of bearing in its own power. One may see the mother of all at one time disfigured with mould, at another bare of produce, at another green and full of flowers, at another dried up any spot which might wish to be always clothed and never lay aside the golden dress of its seeds or green dress of the meadows would be barren in itself and unendowed with the gain of its own produce which it would have transferred to others so then even if thou wilt not believe in our resurrection by faith nor by example thou wilt believe by experience for many products as the vine the olive and different fruits the end of the year is the fit time for ripening and for us also the consummation of the world, as though the end of the year has set the fitting time for rising again, and fitly in the resurrection of the dead at the consummation of the world, lest after the resurrection we should have to fall back into this evil age. For this cause Christ suffered, that he might deliver us from this evil world, lest the temptations of this world should overthrow us again, and it should be an injury to us to come again to life, if we came to life again for sin. So then, We have both a reason and a time for the resurrection. A reason because nature in all its produce remains consistent with itself, and does not fail in the generation of men alone. A time because all things are produced at the end of the year. For the seasons of the world consist of one year. What wonder if the year be one, since the day is one! For on the one day the Lord hired the labourers to work in the vineyard, when he said, Why stand ye here all the day idle? The causes of the beginnings of all things are seeds, and the apostle of the Gentiles has said that the human body is a seed, and so in succession after sowing there is the substance needful for the resurrection. But even if there were no substance and no cause, who could think it difficult for God to create man anew whence he will and as he wills? Who commanded the world to come into being out of no matter and no substance? Look at the heaven, behold the earth whence are the fires of the stars whence the orb and rays of the sun whence the globe of the moon whence the mountain heights the hard rocks the woody groves whence are the air diffused around and the waters whether enclosed or poured abroad but if god made all these things out of nothing for he spake and they were made he commanded and they were created why should we wonder that that which has been should be brought to life again since we see produced that which had not been. It is a cause for wonder that, though they do not believe in the resurrection, yet in their kindly care they make provision that the human race should not perish, and so say that souls pass and migrate into other bodies, that the world may not pass away. But let them say which is the most difficult, for souls to migrate or to return, come back to that which is their own, or seek for fresh dwelling-places. But let those who have not been taught doubt. For us who have read the Law, the Prophets, the Apostles, and the Gospel, it is not lawful to doubt, for who can doubt when he reads, And in that time shall all thy people be saved, which is written in the book, and many of them that shall sleep in the graves of the earth shall arise with one opening, these to everlasting life, and those to shame and everlasting confusion. And they that have understanding shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and of the just, many shall be as the stars for ever. Well, then, did he speak of the rest of those that sleep? That one may understand that death lasts not for ever, which, like sleep, is undergone for a time, and is put off at its time, and he shows that the progress of that life which shall be after death is better than that which is passed in sorrow and pain before death, inasmuch as the former is compared to the stars, and the latter is assigned to trouble. And why should I bring together what is written elsewhere?' thou shalt raise me up and i will praise thee or that other passage in which holy job after experiencing the miseries of this life and overcoming all adversity by his virtuous patience promised himself a recompense for present evils in the resurrection saying thou shalt raise up this body of mine which has suffered many evils isaiah also proclaiming the resurrection to the people says that he is the announcer of the lord's message for we read thus for the mouth of the lord hath spoken and they shall say in that day. And what the mouth of the Lord declared that the people should say is set forth later on, where it is written, Because of thy fear, O Lord, we have been with child, and have brought forth the spirit of thy salvation, which thou hast poured forth upon the earth. They that inhabit the earth shall fall, they shall rise that are in the graves. For the dew which is from thee is health for them, but the land of the wicked shall perish go o my people and enter into thy chambers and hide thyself for a little until the lord's wrath pass by how well did he by the chambers point out the tombs of the dead in which for a brief space we are hidden that we may be better able to pass to the judgment of god which shall try us with the indignation due for our wickednesses he then is alive who is hidden and at rest as though withdrawing himself from our midst and retiring, lest the misery of this world should entangle him with closer snares, for whom the heavenly oracles affirm by the voices of the prophets that the joy of the resurrection is reserved, and the soundness of their freed bodies procured by the divine deed. And dew is well used as a sign, since by it all vital seeds of the earth are raised to growth, what wonder is it then if the dust and ashes also of our failing body grow vigorous by the richness of the heavenly dew and by the reception of this vital moistening the shapes of our limbs are refashioned and connected again with each other and the holy prophet ezekiel teaches and describes with a full exposition how vigour is restored to the dry bones the senses return motion is added and the sinews coming back the joints of the human body grow strong how the bones which were very dry are clothed with restored flesh and the course of the veins and the flow of the blood is covered by the veil of the skin drawn over them as we read the reviving multitude of human bodies seems to spring up under the very words of the prophet and one can see on the widespread plain the new seed shoot forth but if the wise men of old believed that a crop of armed men sprang up in the district of thebes from the sowing of the hydra's teeth whereas it is certainly established that seeds of one kind cannot be changed into another kind of plant nor bring forth produce differing from its own seeds so that men should spring from serpents and flesh from teeth how much more indeed is it to be believed that whatever has been sown rises again in its own nature and that crops do not differ from their seed that soft things do not spring from hard nor hard from soft nor is poison changed into blood but that flesh is restored from flesh bone from bone blood from blood the humours of the body from humours can ye then ye heathen who are able to assert a change deny a restoration of the nature can you refuse to believe the oracles of god the gospel and the prophets who believe empty fables but let us now hear the prophet himself who speaks thus the hand of the lord was upon me and the lord led me forth in the spirit and placed me in the midst of the plain and it was full of men's bones and he led me through them round about and lo there were very many bones on the face of the plain And they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Lord, thou knowest. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and thou shalt say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord to these bones, Behold, I bring upon you the spirit of life, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and will stretch skin over you, and will put my spirit into you, and ye shall live, and know that I am the Lord and i prophesied as he commanded me and it came to pass when i was prophesying all these things lo there was a great earthquake note how the prophet shows that there was hearing and movement in the bones before the spirit of life was poured upon them for above both the dry bones are bidden to hear as if they had the sense of hearing and that upon this each of them came to its own joint is pointed out by the words of the prophet for we read as follows and the bones came together each one to its joint and i beheld and lo sinews and flesh were forming upon them and skin came upon them from above and there was no spirit in them great is the loving-kindness of the lord that the prophet is taken as a witness of the future resurrection that we too might see it with his eyes for all could not be taken as witnesses but in that one all we are witnesses for neither does lying come upon a holy man nor error upon so great a prophet nor ought it to appear at all improbable that at the command of god the bones were fitted again to their joints since we have numberless instances in which nature has obeyed the commands of heaven as the earth was bidden to bring forth the green herb and did bring it forth as the rock at the touch of the rod gave forth water for the thirsting people and the hard stone poured forth streams by the mercy of god for those parched with heat what else did the rod changed into a serpent signify than that at the will of god living things can be produced from those that are without life Do you think it more incredible that bones should come together when bidden, than that streams should be turned back, or the sea flee? For thus does the prophet testify, the sea saw it and fled, Jordan was driven back. Nor can there be any doubt about this fact, which was proved by the rescue of one, and the destruction of the other, of two peoples, that the waves of the sea stood restrained, and at the same time surrounded one people, and poured back upon the other for their death, that they might overwhelm the one, but preserve the other. And what do we find in the gospel itself? Did not the Lord himself prove there that the sea grew calm at a word, the clouds were driven away, the blasts of the winds yielded, and that on the quieted shores the dumb elements obeyed God? End of section two.